The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and today I've got a collegiate coach on with us who hasn't been on with me before, but I'm excited for his first time on. So get out your notepads like I do, get a pen or pencil, whichever you prefer to take notes with, and get ready for some insight and new information for you guys. All right, so please welcome in Coach Repkin. Coach Repkin, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to where you are now. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, glad to be a part of it. Happy New Year. Um, yeah, so I'm from small town, Wisconsin. Uh, grew up there, um, you know, growing up playing baseball. Obviously, it was my passion, just like, you know, I'm sure just about everybody listening. And, um, you know, got into high school ball. And really, when I was playing in high school, the only goal I had was, you know, to get the college ball and play ball in college. And so went through high school and, and found a college to play at in Wisconsin. And, um, went there for two years and um, had a good experience, but wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And um, so decided to transfer um, after two years and uh, transferred to Crown College in Minnesota. And, um, you know, still at that point, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with with my life, um, but knew I loved baseball. And at some point I, I decided I wanted to get into coaching um, kind of into my junior year of college and Finished out playing two years, uh, my junior and senior year at Crown. Um, graduated. Uh, again, knew I wanted to get into coaching and, and probably be a head coach at the college level. And um, and so decided to go to the, the graduate assistant route. Um, kind of applied everywhere around the country and um, got a lot of no's, um, but I got a few yeses. And uh, the day I was had my bags packed and, and ready to move somewhere, um, basically, uh, Crown, uh, the place I had just graduated from, got a graduate assistant position and offered it to me and uh, decided to go back and, and coach there. Um, and so did the graduate assistant thing for two years and uh, absolutely loved it. Got done last summer um, with my graduate position and, uh, again, was in a spot where I, I was looking for, for a new job, a new position, and um, Pretty much, again, had my bags packed, was was ready to accept a new coaching opportunity and, um, and got a full-time gig as associate head coach at Crown and, um, you know, couldn't be happier, couldn't be luckier to, to have a full-time job in baseball and, uh, you know, really doing what I love and, um, you know, excited to see where, where 2022 takes me and, and takes our team and, um, you know, go from there. Awesome, Coach. Glad to have you on. So let's start off the podcast getting to know you a little bit more. Uh, I'm a big story guy, so I'm excited to hear some of the stories you got for us. So can you tell us about the wildest, craziest, most bizarre thing you've ever witnessed firsthand on a ball field? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know how bizarre it is, but I remember you know, pretty much my first action in, in college baseball uh, as a freshman. We're down in Florida. Um, you know, wasn't an everyday starter, was more of a platoon guy my first year as a freshman. And I remember, um, like our first or second game of the season, uh, we're up twelve to two, I think twelve to twelve to two or twelve to three. Um, and I was a, a corner infielder, and um, we're in the ninth inning, and, and and I get put in as a defensive replacement or just a, you know a replacement in the ninth inning of, in a twelve to three game. And I'm like, you know, pretty relaxed. It, you know, it's a pretty easy way to get your kind of your feet wet at the college level, and. 
um, you know, we're warming up or whatever, and and they bring in a pitcher for us, and and he starts getting wild, and he walks a couple guys, and they bring in another guy, and he starts walking a couple guys, and he hits a couple guys, and you know, all of a sudden it's you know, twelve to seven, twelve to eight, and you know, long story short, we blow a, a twelve to two, twelve to three lead in in the ninth inning of a game. I just got brought in to be a defensive replacement, and I remember standing at first base like, "This is the worst. Like, why did I get bring it, brought into this game? Why, oh, this is terrible." And we got, you know, we heard it pretty good after the game, and I was like, you know, I, I wanted no part of being being in that game. Uh, so a weird way to start, you know, the college career. And uh, the next day, I got my first college jet, and so it, you know, it got better. But you know, going back to the hotel after. You know, getting put into a 12 to 2 game and then blowing it um, was not not a super fun way to start the college career. <laughs> that is wild, coach. But can you also tell us about the best performance you've ever witnessed firsthand on a ball field? It's you know, being a college coach, uh, obviously you see a lot of incredibly talented players. We've got a um, a shortstop right now, Seth Batts, who's uh, he was first team All Region last year, and um, you know he came into the season. Um, you know, supposed to be, you know, our best player was conference player of the year last year. And we were, you know, kind of projected him to do that. Um, and his first, I think like eight or nine games, he had like two hits and he was like over eight with the bases loaded on the season. And, and we were kind of like, you know, this is gonna be a long year if our best player is, you know, not doing great. And, uh, we had a super early morning game. Um, you know, we're, we're in Minnesota and so, uh, kind of playing those games outside in, in mid to late March, uh, you know, on turf fields can be can be cool. Um, and so I think we played a game, you know, it was like 38 degrees. Uh, we played a team um, that had one of the best pitchers around and, and he was facing us game one. Uh, and so we knew it was going to be kind of a, a difficult day. Um, and, and Seth came up, he had two home runs in our first game. I think he was three for four with two home runs and double um, against one of the best pitchers in, in the region. And then the second game was a doubleheader. Um, I think he hit a home run and, and a triple or something and, um, and then springboarded into um, you know, hitting like 390 on the season and, and was first team all region. But one of the best performances I ever saw against a guy that um, was a dominant pitcher. I think we had three hits the first game. I think he had all three hits, including two home runs. And so um, special talent and, and kind of went on from there. All right, Coach. So let's kind of start talking into the coaching and the baseball aspect uh, of the podcast. And so I'm going to ask you this. You know, you guys are up north. You have to spend a lot of time inside. What are some of the ways when you guys have to practice inside? I know every coach who has to coach in the spring, um, probably any coach who coaches up north in particular, probably spends a lot of time inside. High school coaches in the spring, it's always raining. Sometimes you get the occasional snow. So you got to battle through, help your guys' morale stay up, the energy stay up, because it can get tough being inside for a long duration of time. When you're not down south in Florida and Texas or southern parts of California where you can go outside and you can almost be outside playing ball year round and it just sucks the life out of your your team sometimes when you're just stuck inside for such a long period. So what are some of the ways that you guys keep morale high when you're stuck inside for such a long time? 
I mean, it, it's tough, right? I mean, you know, being a college coach, you know, we start practice kind of late January, early February. Uh, obviously, here in Minnesota, it's still pretty cold in, in late January, early February here. And so um, for us, you know, our, our pretty much our first four to you know six weeks, depending on when our first game is every year, is, is inside. And then, you know, a lot of cases, you know, we go down to Florida in mid-March. You can come back, from, you know, from Florida. And one year, it's, it's beautiful and you're playing outside. And one year, it's, you know, you're inside still. Um, with cold temperatures and snow on the ground. And so I think for us, the biggest thing is is keeping things competitive, keeping things new for the guys. Uh, you know, I think where coaches struggle the biggest inside practices is you do the same thing or roughly the same thing every day. Even if it's the right thing, even if it's the thing that, you know, guys should be doing, um, you got to keep it new. You got to keep it fresh. You got to keep things challenging. So I think for us, really the biggest thing we do is um, – we integrate competition into everything we do. We have our guys compete every single day. You know, I don't care if it's, you know, 5 a.m. practice inside, you know, February 7th, um, you know, we're competing. Um, and so for us, it's it's whatever we can do, whatever drill we're doing, you can pretty much make any drill in the world uh, a competition at some point. Um, and so we that's what we do. We try to make, you know, competition a huge part of what we do. And then we're, we're super fortunate. Uh, our cages, our indoor cages are long enough, tall enough where we can go live in them. Uh, so we have the portable mounds, portable batters boxes, and so uh, we have our hitters throw or our pitchers throw to our hitters, um, you know, as much as possible. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's great to work on on different things hitting wise. Uh, it's great to see BP hit off the tee, all those sort of things. But it's really hard to simulate, you know, 88 uh, on the black. It, it really is. And so for our, our hitters, uh, as our hitting coach, to see you know the ball out of the hand, you know, pretty much every single day, to see the spin on the ball every single day, even when we're inside even when it's, you know, maybe not as realistic when you're in a cage. Um, but as a hitter, to see that every single day uh, and to compete against a pitcher every single day, I think is, has been huge for us. Um, and one of the reasons uh, we've been as successful as we have in the hitting department. What are some of those competitions you guys do inside? Can you give us an example of some of those, what those look like? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think you can make, you know, just about everything um, competitive as, you know, an infield coach. Uh, you know, we do a ton of pick work. Um, and so, I mean, you can make, you know, as many competitions as you want with that, whether it's just bare hand with a tennis ball, um, you know, whether it's with, you know, just a flat pad, you know, whether it's with a glove, whether you're on your knees, uh, forehand, backhand, um, you know, then you get an actual ground ball work. Um, and so for us, it's, you know, just doing everything we can um, to do a lot of competitions. Uh, a lot of our guys, you know, we've got a drill called Gold Glove, um, you know, where you get as close to pretty much as possible to the guy without killing him, um, hitting, you know, hard one hoppers to him and see how long guys can last and you get into a big line and, um, you know, guys get pretty competitive uh, even when you're in the gym. And so um, for us, uh, I mean, like I said, I mean, you can make just about anything competitive. And so for us, you know, we usually – come up with a drill or a skill we want to accomplish for the day, uh, and then we try to figure out some way we can make it competitive. So you kind of touched on this a little bit on your, your previous answer, uh, and you're talking about infield stuff, and I love infield drills. We use pancakes at Community R6 almost every day. We use them for cuts and relays. We use them on live ground balls. Uh, I love using pancakes, but I am curious, what are some of the things you guys do with your infielders to help develop them? Yeah, I think for us, it's um, one is you got to be in the weight room. Um, you know, I think for for me, that's something that uh, gets lost a little bit. You got to be able to move left to right, right? I mean, um, some of the best infielders I, I've seen, um, they have great hands, they have great this, that, the other, 
but more often than not, they're just great athletes. And so for us, that's kind of where it starts. Um, you got to get in the weight room. Uh, you got to be able to move. You know, I don't care how good your arm is. If you can't get to a ball, you know, a step and a half from you and the guy behind you can, um, it's probably not going to matter. And so for me, that's where it kind of starts. And then, yeah, developing infielders, uh, I think it's it's just about preparation more than it is anything. Um, you know, I think a lot of times um, just knowing where you got to be, um, you know, being on the balls of your feet. You know, we talk, we preach to our guys all the time about kind of the, um, you know, pre-pitch routine um, is huge for us. Um, and then, like I said, just being a good athlete, be, you know, learning that we got to be able to get beat left to right, not, you know, forward and backwards. And, um, you know, being able to move laterally towards the ball is, is huge for us. And then obviously, you know, position-wise, it, it depends a little bit where you're at. You know, if you're a shortstop compared to, you know, you're, if you're a first baseman, you're working on different things. But, um, you know, for us, uh, we really preach to our guys left and right. You got to get left and right. Um, you got to be able to move laterally. So when your guys are going out and, and looking for kids to bring into your program, what are some of those intangibles and skills you guys are looking for from guys you want to bring into your program? Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I'm kind of a recruiting coordinator. Um, we've had a lot of success bringing in, um, you know, sticks um, and guys that can really hit. And so for me, um, you know, really the two biggest things I look for, one is, is can a guy hit? I mean, uh, hitting something, uh, I, I think if a guy comes in, it's, it's much easier, in my opinion, to, to develop a, a guy's glove than it is a guy's stick. If a guy can hit, he can hit. You know what I mean? If a guy can hit in high school, um, he's probably going to be able to hit at the college level. There might be some sort of adjustment, um, but if you can hit, you can hit. And I think we all know when we see a guy that, hey, that's a, that's a hitter. That guy looks like a hitter. You know, even if a guy goes 0 for 3 with 2 Ks on a pop-out, uh, you can still tell if a guy's you know, a good hitter or not. You can still tell in, in just kind of his actions and his movements and his body language and and so for me, that's that's a big thing we look for. Um, and then it's just, you know, kind of the, the leadership aspect, the, the off the field aspect, how he is, how he is with his teammates. You know, is the guy a good dude? Is this guy going to come in and, and fit in with our guys? Uh, you know, we've had lots of guys on campus where they come in and uh, you know, they're, they're a stud, you know, they're a guy that would really help our program right away. But, you know, you can bring them in on campus and you're with them for, you know, five hours. And, you know, by the end of that, you're like, hey, this guy's not going to fit in with our team. This guy isn't going to gel with with what we're supposed to be doing here. And so uh, I think that's the biggest thing for us. Uh, you know, I think a lot of things, um, you know, can be taught. Um, but really, the biggest thing I look for is, is can the dude hit? Um, you know, our pitching coach really recruits, you know, the heck out of our pitchers. And so he does a great job with that. But, you know, for me, on, uh, on the you know, hitting side, the offensive side, um, can the dude hit? And then obviously you look for some other intangibles. We've got guys, you know, you might feel that's got a great arm, um, but his stick isn't there. Hey, we can work with that. Or a guy's super fast. Hey, we can work with that. Um, really the biggest thing I preach to, you know, our, our high school guys I talk to is you got to have one, you know, one major skill. I think, you know, far too often we're trying to get so great at all of our skills, which is you, you want to get better, at, you know, obviously at everything. Um, but you got to really hone in at uh, on one skill. If you're really, you know, if you're fast defensive center fielder, you know, own that and, you know, get as best you can at, at that. And, and you're going to get recruited probably at a higher level than if you pour all your energy um, in, into a thousand different things and you're somewhat average at, you know, all of those things instead of being really a lead at one of those things. 
So you talked about bringing hitters in, and I absolutely agree. Guy, some guys just hit, man, and it's just bizarre. Some of them have the most funky mechanics, but they can just hit. Um, but I am curious. Let's say you bring these hitters in. What are some of the ways you like to develop hitters in your program, and then what's your approach for hitters to have at the plate? Yeah, I would say for us, um, it, it's you know it, you always hear baseball is ninety percent mental. I mean, I, I really think that's that's really what it is for us uh like you said i mean you can have a guy that you know his stance looks terrible is you know he, he lunges he bails i mean he you know he does everything wrong but he still gets three knocks every day um and so for us it's you know we don't have a mold of we bring a guy in and it's like hey this is how you got to hit this is how you got to be um you know we really work more, just as much if not more uh with stuff in between the years uh than we do anything and i think it's really just pouring into our guys pouring confidence into our guys uh we had a guy last year uh, Kyle Schrodel, he's our right fielder, and, um, you know, you walk by him in the hallway, and he looks like a Division One guy, right? I mean, he's 6'4", and, and, you know, built like an ox, and um, but he never really hit with, with power um, before last year, and um, really just kind of didn't have the confidence, um, you know, as a guy that, you know, he should have. Um, and so we just poured into him, poured into him. I told him every single day, hey, you should walk around this campus like you're, you know, the conference player of the year. Uh, you know, you're going to be a stud for it. You know, just pouring into him, you know, as much as we possibly could and, and keeping that confidence literally as high as we could. You know, if you, you know, went over four or four Ks, it was still like, hey, you're the best player in the world. You got this, blah, 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 blah. And, so he went from no home runs in his high school or college career, his first two years in college, uh, none in, in high school. Uh, last year he had 17 home runs, 15 doubles. Uh, and obviously I don't think that was all mental. Yeah, I mean, he's got one of the prettiest swings I've ever seen. Um, but I think that's what it can do for you, right? It can go from maybe, hey, being a four home run guy to a 17 home run guy just with, with kind of the confident um, aspect. And so, for you know, as far as approach, um, we really teach gap to gap. That's, that's what we teach. Um, you know, you want to go up there with, with confidence and, hey, I'm better than this guy. I don't care if this pitcher is, you know, the best pitcher in the conference, best pitcher in the country. Um, I'm better than him, uh, and I'm going to hit a line drive off of him. And so, you know, we don't preach the launch angle as much as it's, you know, kind of the sexy thing to talk about, him, you know, having a guy with 17 home runs, um, you know, maybe, you know, something that, you know, you'd think that we would talk about. But it's really gap to gap, um, and I think uh, for us, our approach is, you know, just going up there with confidence, know what you're looking for, you know, don't go up there, you know, if you're Kyle or if you're Seth or if you're a three, four hitters um, looking for an inside fastball when you're not going to get it, right? I mean, going up there with an idea of how the pitcher is going to approach us, um, you know, if a pitcher is a starter and you've seen him now for four or five innings, you've probably got a good idea of, of what he's going to throw to you, um, kind of his sequencing, um, what he likes to throw in different counts. And so just knowing what you're, what you're looking for as a hitter. Um, is a big thing for us where, you know, we tell our guys all the time, like I said, if you're a 3-4 hitter, you're a big dude, you know, don't go up there looking for three straight fastballs when, you know, you might see a fastball, you know, once a game. Uh, go up there trying to look for what, what you know you can hit and what you're going to get. So what's your guys' two-strike approach? Does it vary from hitter to hitter or does it stay the same throughout? Yeah, I'd say for us it, it varies greatly hitter to hitter. 
um, you know, I think with, with any count, right? I mean, we've got guys that, um, you know, are 3-4 hitters usually have the green light on 3-0. There's other guys, I you know, I don't want swinging 3-0 ever. Um, and so with two strikes, I think it really – uh, varies hitter to hitter, uh, situation to situation, game to game. Um, you know, if you're in the first inning of a, you know, zero to zero game, you know, maybe I'm going to let our five hitter, you know, take a little bit bigger of a swing. Um, but if we're, you know, in the bottom of the eighth in a three to four game with the guy on second, um, you know, I want that two strike approach uh, to look a little bit different. So I think that's really what we preach to our guys. And, um, you know, we try to sit guys down as much as we can and teach them, you know, kind of situational awareness and having guys with high baseball IQ. Because um, it's going to look different, to, you know, to every guy. You know, we've got a guy that I think struck out like three or four times in like 120 at bats last year, and so his, you know, O2 approach um, is completely different than you know our four hitters O2 approach. Um, and so uh, I think it looks different. Um, obviously, we preach to guys, you know, we're a team that we don't want to strike out. We want to put the ball in play. Um, we have a very good offense, um, but I think strikeouts uh, inevitably are going to come, like I said, right? And so um, I, I think you just have to have awareness. We don't want to strike out, but if you do strike out, it's not like, hey, I'm the worst hitter in the world, and now I've got no confidence the rest of the day. If you strike out, it's, it, it's behind you, and you don't want to do it. Um, but it, I'd say it, it varies greatly you know, from player to player, um, situation to situation. Um, it's completely different. So talking about recruiting, you get these guys coming in from every, you know, different socioeconomics, different cultures, different ways of being raised, different high school programs. They all have these different thought processes, different ways of how they think things should be done, different ways of approaching things, different ways of handling certain situations, different way of communicating. You know, I once heard a quote that says, you know, just you know, just because we all speak the same English doesn't mean our dialect is the same. How they say things in, let's say, Minnesota is not how they, they don't use the exact same dialect in Louisiana. Sometimes the slang is different. Sometimes the, the word isn't exactly the same. It's said differently. So I am curious, you guys got these kids coming in from all over, you know, the country coming to play baseball for you. What are ways you get those guys to be unified from all over the country? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a challenge, and I think it's one of the most difficult challenges we have. I mean, we've got guys from, you know, pretty much every corner of the country, uh, Florida, California, Delaware. Uh, we got a guy from Australia, and so, like you said, there's a, there's a big difference between how a guy was raised in Australia and how a guy was raised in, you know, a small town Minnesota, um, and so I think for us, and I really think this is true in life, not just baseball. Um, you got to get to know a guy before you can, you know, really hound on him, before you can, um, you know, really give him a lot of teaching moments, um, before you can, you know, critique him. You got to get to know him. And so really we start fall ball uh, usually two to three weeks after the school year starts. Um, and usually in that first two to three weeks, um, you know, we're doing as much team activities as we possibly can, meeting with our guys one-on-one. Uh, as much as we possibly can, just because, you know, a guy flies, you know, across the world uh, from Australia, doesn't know you that well. Uh, I'm sure you recruited him and, you know, you spent time on the phone and had to visit this, that, the other. Um, but in the scheme of things, he doesn't really know you. And so if you get right on a field right away and you start getting after a guy or you start saying, hey, you should be doing this with your swing and you're, you're not doing this, um, and he doesn't really know you that well. Um, you know, it's, he's not going to take that as well as if, hey, I really know this guy. Uh, you know, I believe in this guy. Uh, I can see why he's doing things. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for us uh, is just one building that team camaraderie where guys start to get to know each other. Guys are familiar with each other. And obviously that's going to build uh, when you're on the field. 
Um, but I really think just having your guys know each other as best as possible, knowing you, um, you know, like I said, and you can't, it's hard to give criticism to a kid, um, you know, who doesn't know you incredibly well, or, or maybe doesn't believe in you because he doesn't know in you incredibly well. And so just getting to know the kids, uh, you know, as much as we possibly can, we preach relationships to our guys where, uh, you know, I think every college program in the country uses the word family and says, hey, we're a family. Uh, but I think when we say it, it's it's really true just because, you know, we emphasize it. Um, you, you need to have close relationships. Um, you know, guys need to believe in you just as much as you believe in them. Um, and so I think that's for us uh, a huge piece of it. You know, building relationships is such a huge aspect of building culture. But what are some other ways besides just building relationships that you guys go about trying to build your culture in the way you want it to be built? Yeah, I would say for us, uh, we've been incredibly fortunate to have um, great upperclassmen leaders. Uh, I think you need that, Uh, whether it's a high school team or a college team. You absolutely need it just because, you know, college level, guys are here. I mean, they're on campus. As much as I'm on campus working, um, you know, they're there 24 hours a day every single day for, you know, usually eight months out of the year. And so you need to have good upperclassmen leadership. You know, if if you got guys on your team that are upperclassmen leaders that aren't doing things the right way uh, or, or, you know, goofing off, um, that's all the team's going to be, and they're going to follow those guys. If you got, you know, your best players and your captains and uh, your leaders on the team, are you know also your best leaders off the field uh, are your hardest working dudes um you know are your best you know relationship guys um everybody else is going to kind of fall in the line and so i think for for us at the college level uh it's really uplifting you know the leaders that that you want guys to follow um just because like i said i mean guys are there all day every day uh, they're going to look to somebody you know you're not in the dorms at you know 2 a.m on a random saturday night um and so our guys doing the right thing or they're doing the wrong thing um usually it's it's based off of what that those team leaders are doing and so for us um you know we've been very fortunate to have some some older dudes obviously with the covid years everybody's a little bit older um but really having that that leadership uh on the player aspect uh, i think is huge because as much as you want guys to listen to you um they're going to listen to sometimes their teammates more than they listen to you and that's just you know a fact of life that's just reality um sometimes they look to those guys more than they look to a coach in a certain situation. Um, and so I think having, you know, strong senior leadership or upperclassmen leadership uh, is, is pivotal if you want to do anything, you know, in the college game. You know, one of the things I've learned in my short coaching career is that early on I was just expecting guys to just become leaders. Like you're a senior. I know you got a good head on your shoulders, but you're not leading this team, in order for us to be great, this team has to be player-led, and that player has to be you and you, and you're not leading it in the way that I think it should be led. And so as I've gotten more and more years under my belt, I've come to learn that I can't just expect those kids to become leaders the way I want them to become leaders. I have to recognize them as early on and then start developing them so when they become that junior, senior, upperclassman who I know the kids are going to respect and look at to their leader – because I spent freshman year and possibly sophomore year, you know, building them ready to get be that leader and to lead the direction which it needs to go, you know, that's that's my job as a coach is to make sure that my player leaders are built in the way they need to be built. So that way when they're the leaders, they can lead it the way I want them to lead it. So I am curious, how do you guys build and grow the leaders and the leadership in your program? 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great question. I think it's something that's not talked about enough. Uh, I think for us, it's just having that open dialogue and that open conversation. Uh, you know, we've got a couple guys that were freshmen last year that are, I mean, no doubt in my mind are going to be captains, you know, as a senior or a junior uh, when they get to that point. And so I think it's just being open with that and saying, you know, having guys, you know, come down and, and sit them down and say, hey, this is where you're at. You know, we, we've been incredibly impressed by you. You know, we see you as a captain down the, down the road. Um, you know, that's how impressed we've been with kind of your actions. And, and I think just empowering guys, right? I think uh, same goes, you know, for, for just on the field play. I mean, we've got guys that, you know, we've got a shortstop this year that's incredibly talented, um, but he's behind a, you know, fifth-year uh, first-team all-region shortstop. And so I think it's just having a conversation with that guy being, hey, you're going to be a stud for us down the road. Uh, you're going to do big things. Sure, you're behind this guy right now, um, but that doesn't change how we feel about you. You know, if I could play you every single day, I would. And so I think guys... You know, guys respect that. Guys want that. You know, guys don't want to just be in the dark uh, because, like you said, you know, sometimes you think it's just uh, common sense that guys should know, hey, you're going to be a leader, you know, next year or you're going to be a leader this year. Or you're going to be, a, you know, a stud for us next year. Um, and sometimes those guys don't connect those dots. Uh, and so you kind of don't want to leave anything up to guessing. I think you want to be as, you know, as clear as you possibly can uh, with the good conversations where, hey, maybe you're going to be a captain, you know, in the future or, hey, you're going to be our, you know, you're going to be our guy at shortstop in a year or two. Or even just the bad conversations, too, or, hey, it's maybe not working out here, or, or maybe, hey, we got to change some of our actions, um, you know, to get to where we want to be. Um, I think just being as upfront as we, you possibly can with kids uh, is huge. Kids respect that. Um, they don't want to be in the dark. You don't want to leave an 18 to 22-year-old in the dark, um, you know, thinking about what their role is on the team, when they're going to play, if they're going to play, if they want to be at the school, um, you know, because that's when guys move on. Uh, and so I think for us, it's, it's really really just being as upfront as we possibly can with guys. You know, like I said, we had freshmen last year, a couple freshmen that, you know, we really see as captain's material. They probably would be captains this year, you know, if we didn't have fifth year, sixth year seniors. And so I think it's just having those open conversations with guys with being like, hey, you're a leader on this team. Guys look to you as a leader. We look to you as a leader, you know, just because you're not a, you know, fifth year senior, or, you know, or an actual senior, um, that doesn't mean you can't be you know, just as much as a leader of, as those guys. And so I think it's just being, you know, as open, as transparent as you possibly can with guys. Fascinating. And so what are ways we know we're talking about culture, um, but one of the huge aspects of culture is the discipline aspect. And I'm not talking about, you know, there's a quote I like to say, it's called, you either have discipline or you get disciplined. And I'm less interested in the, the getting disciplined part I'm curious on, you know, as coaches, it's our job to build these guys into young men, people that we can put out into the world that can do great things, husbands, coworkers, bosses, managers, coaches, maybe one day. And in order to be great like that, you have to have discipline in, your, in yourself. And so what are ways you guys help install that discipline into your players? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's something that, you know, like you said, it's, it's not just a baseball thing. Um, I, I think, you know, not very often you have a guy that's very disciplined with, with baseball in the weight room and, and getting better, uh, and then he's not disciplined in every other aspect of his life. I think it's, 
you know, we tell our guys all the time, it's not a, a switch you can flip on and off. It's uh, it's a daily thing. It's everything you do um, from how you walk into the classroom, how you approach your homework, um, you know, your relationships with your family, um, you know, everything. It's, you know, discipline is something that, like you said, will follow you for for life. Um, you know, I'm not naive. Uh, our guys aren't naive. Um, you know, very few guys on our team are going to play after their four years of college baseball. And so you're going to get into some other aspect of life. Baseball comes to an end for, for all of us at some point, whether you're 18 or you're, you know, 34, it's going to come to an end for you at some point. And so I think, um, just holding our guys to a high level of, of excellence uh, in everything we do uh, has been huge. You know, we just came off one of the best team GPAs in program history last year, and, um, you know, we pound guys with that. You know, guys come in and, you know, maybe aren't fully aware of, of what a college academic schedule looks like and, and kind of what that all looks like, and it's just getting them familiar with that. And, hey, you know, you, you can love baseball as much as you want, and you can be the hardest-working ba- dude you know, on our team baseball-wise, but if you're not, you know, getting the job done – you know, in the classroom uh, or in other aspects of life, it's probably not going to work out for you here. Um, and so I think really just holding guys to a high standard, no matter um, what it is, not just baseball, um, is huge. And guys love that. You know, if you're the best player on the team, but you never show up to class, hey, you're not going to play. Uh, you're not going to be on the team. And that's just kind of the way it is here. And, uh, you know, we've seen a ton of success with it. Really just, you know, going hand in hand with, with our guys, right? Where, you know, we've got a very young coaching staff uh, here at Crown. And so, you know, it's a good balance of um, holding guys to a high level of discipline but also I, I've been in those guys shoes not that long ago um, you know so I get it so we do work with our guys uh, we do know there's going to be some hiccups not every guy's going to come in and have a, a 4.0 um, but making sure guys are on the road uh, on the trajectory uh, to getting it done um, and so uh, that's really the biggest thing for us um, is just having a, a clear plan for the guys and being disciplined in, in every single thing you do because uh, that's going to follow you much further on past baseball than uh, your bad average your your junior year of college will it's good stuff I love talking about culture I love talking about discipline so let's go back to the baseball aspect yesterday I was up at a college talking with the coach and we were talking about charts uh, the year before they were doing they had this big board of numbers that they wanted to get every game and they had a plus minus next to every game with the percent whether it be one one strike percentage first pitch strike percentage you know nine or more freebies per game. Uh, but I am curious for charts with you guys. What are some of the things you guys try to get every game? Uh, what are things you guys chart every game? And then why do you want those numbers or why do you chart what you chart? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us and the things that we chart the most is, you know, on the offensive side uh, as our hitting coach, um, is quality at bat percentage. Uh, I think it's something that, you know, it's starting to be talked about more, um, you know, in the last probably four to five years. Uh, but I don't think it's it's really talked about enough. Uh, I think that's really the, the number one thing we, we chart and we talk to our guys about. Um, you know, I, I don't care if a guy goes over four, if he goes over four with, you know, three missiles, um, that guy's going to be in the lineup the next day. And, you know, if a guy, you know, goes the other way with a guy on second, nobody out, uh, and gets that ground ball to second and moves the guy over to third, that's, that's a great at-bat. That's, that's something that helps our team win. Um, and so I don't care about, um, you, know, you know, doubles are subjective. Our RBIs are subjective. I care about, um, you know, quality at-bat percentage, hard hit percentage. Uh, so those are really the two things that we chart. You know, I, I tell our guys all the time, you know, at the college level it's hard where, you know, anybody can Google search 
average, you know, a guy's batting average, a guy can sit there, you know, after every single game and uh, you know, re-upload the, the website and, and look at what his batting average fell to or rose to. And, um, you know, that's difficult uh, when our guys, are, you know, can look at that so easily when, you know, we, we try to have guys stay away from it uh, as much as we possibly can because really batting average isn't, you know, a super fair or subjective way to, to look at whether a guy's a great hitter or, you know, over a full season, sure it is. Um, but, you know, just in the moment, in those first, you know, five to eight games of the year, you know, we want guys just completely worried about quality at bat percentage. Are you, got, are you doing things to help a team win? You know, you can you certainly go 0 for 4 uh, and help our team win on a certain day, and that's much more, uh, you know, important to me as a coach than it is going, you know, 2 for 4 with two flare hits with two outs, nobody on. Um, and you, you came up short and didn't move that guy over, um, didn't hit that fly ball when we had a guy on third, one out. Um, and so for me, it's, it's really quality at bat percentage. That's by far the number one thing uh, that we emphasize. Uh, we do have a few other detail things that we chart, but it's, it, it's more quality at bat percentage. That's thing, things we preach to our guys every single day. That's the things that we post, um, you know, whether it's after live at bats inside, getting ready for a season, uh, or during the middle of a season, uh, or in the middle of a game. You you know, and I think really just, you know, expressing confidence to those guys. Again, going back to, you know, hitting his confidence, you know, a guy goes over four, but he hits a missile to center field, you know, more often than not, you know, a guy puts his head down, guy's pissed. Uh, I think it's, you know, a pretty easy conversation, 30-second conversation to go over to that guy and encourage him and put your arm around him and say, hey, man, that was a missile. Next one's going to go over that guy's head. You know, you keep doing what you're doing, baby, and it's going to work out. Um, where if you don't have that conversation, maybe that guy is still upset about that, that line. And drive that was an over one, and his batting average went now from you know 250 to 245, and he's thinking about that, you know, getting into the box rather than hey, I just hit a missile off of this guy, I'm going to hit another one. And so, um, biggest thing for us, like I said, is quality at bat percentage and and steering guys away from the batting average as much as we possibly can. Speaking of batting average, what are some of the other analytics that maybe you guys use in your program to help develop or show your players to sell them? Maybe, you know, one of the things that I learned early on is that even though there's a tough patch, you got to find, you know, uh, small victories, whether it be, you know, we increased this number in games, even though we've lost the last three games in a row, but here's the things we've gotten better at. Um, that's one of the ways I've used analytics um, to help show growth in my program. Um, just the small things, whether it be first pitch strike percentage, one, one strike percentage, you know, freebies, uh, balls and dirt. Uh, but I am curious, do you guys use analytics in your program? And if so, how do you guys use it? Yeah, we, we definitely do. And I think it's something, um, nowadays that, you know, it's, it's almost, you got to, you, you kind of have to adapt to it because everybody else is. And so, um, you know, I think for us, again, it's, it's really situational situation. It's pitcher to pitcher. It's game to game. You know, if you're facing a guy, um, you know, we've got a lefty in our conference that's one of the best pitchers in the conference. If you're facing him, um, you know, your goals and your analytics and what you look at after the game are going to look completely different than, you know, you face a guy that, hey, you should probably beat up on. And so maybe if you're facing a really good starter that, um, you know, has had a ton of success, it's, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, what was our, you know, did we get, you know, plus in the count? Um, a lot, or, or did we not? You know, we're, you're facing a, a not so great pitcher. Um, you know, it's maybe looking a little bit different. You know, how how, how much did we drive the ball? Um, you know, extra base hit percentage, um, walk percentage. You know, some of those sort of things. And so, I, I think for us again, it's really situation to situation. Um, you know, like you said, you can you can go over three.
three or lose you know three games in a row and, and maybe you, you still played pretty well and there's still some really good things to take out of it but hey the, you know you, you know it's baseball you, you lost a couple close games that maybe should have went your way and there's you know things to take out of it um, and so for us it's really um, game to game, situation to situation, um, who you're facing, um, and then your team too, right? I mean, uh, it's hard to preach to your guys, hey, we had a lot of success. You know, we, you know, we had a walk percentage of X when your team's not a, a team that draws walks and a team that's, you know, that's not something that you guys are proficient at. Uh, doesn't make sense to, you know, to kind of emphasize that to your guys. Uh, and so I think it's really knowing your team and knowing your hitters, what they're going to respond to, uh, what they're going to be positive about, um, and what, you know, what you're going to be positive about as a coach. It may be completely different, um, you know, than what your players are going to be. You know, if I'm, you know, super jacked up um, that we got into plus counts, you know, 15 times over a game, but I'm going to tell that to my guys and they're not going to care, um, then, hey, I probably shouldn't say that to my guys anyway. Um, and so I think it's really just weeding out, hey, really as a coach, what uh, what is going to be super beneficial to us and, and then what's going to be super beneficial to our players. Um, and so I think those things, you know, can look different. Great stuff that you've brought to the podcast, Coach. So I'll wrap it up right here with this question. ABCA convention coming up real soon. If I give you the opportunity to speak and present at that convention, what do you think you'd want to present on? And then could you give us a little snippet of what that presentation would sound like? Yeah, I think for me it would be, um, you know, just the relationship aspect uh, of baseball and, and really the how that can affect, you know, a, a certain player that you have. Um, you know, like I said, with our guy that hit 17 home runs, um, you know, he, he's not going to believe in me if I don't believe in him. Um, and, and I think a lot of it, um, relationship aspect of it, um, and the confidence aspect of, of just playing baseball and, and just life in general, um, you got to have confidence in every single thing you're doing, um, especially as a hitter. Um, and so just really building and pouring into your guys as much as possible where, you know, as our head hitting coach, um, you know, I, I got to pour into those guys hitting is the, probably the hardest thing to do in sports. Um, you know, you're not going to have a lot of confidence always, um, but making sure they do, um, just because you go up to the plate with no confidence, I don't care if you're the best you know, hitter in the entire world, best hitter in the country. Um, you know, if you don't have confidence in what you're doing, uh, you're probably not going to see a lot of success. And so I think just pouring into your guys uh, as much as possible, um, and having that confidence where, you know, every single hitter that goes up to the plate for us, um, thinks they can do it, thinks they can hit the ball hard, whether they're the nine hitter, leadoff hitter, uh, the 10th guy on the bench, uh, they're confident when they go up there. You know, I think that's incredibly difficult to obtain as a team to have, you know, even your bench guy go up there with confidence. He hasn't played in two weeks. He goes up there off a good pitcher and he's still confident. He's still confident as you as a coach. He knows you believe in him, even though he's not playing every single day. Um, you know, that's where those relationship aspects, you know, kind of come into it. I think far too often, um, you know, mechanics, uh, mechanics are great. You got to work with the guy's mechanics. You got to work, you know, everybody can improve their mechanics, can improve their, their swing, can improve their load, um, all of those sort of things. But if, if a kid doesn't think you believe in him, um, he's not going to play well. I mean, that's just, that's just the facts of life. I, you know, I'll go to my grave, um, believing that, you know, you can have the best player in the world. If, if he doesn't believe in you, um, you know, as a coach and he doesn't believe in the system, uh, or he's not confident, he's not confident with you. Uh, he's not confident in his abilities. Um, you know, those are things you can help as a coach. Um, and those are things that need to be talked about and, and need to be helped and need to be done. And so, um, 
biggest thing for me is you got to pour into your guys. You got to know your guys. Different guys react to different things. Uh, you can't, you know, you, I can't coach my guy from Australia the same way I coach, you know, a guy from from Delaware. They're they're completely different dudes. Uh, they respond to different things. They got a different way of life, different way of talking, um, and so pouring into each one of your guys, knowing that you're there for them, um, knowing that they're family, knowing that you have confidence, even if they're, you know, the first guy to the bullpen or the last guy to the bullpen, you've got confidence in them um, and having them believe in you and you believe in them um, is really, I think, an underutilized aspect of baseball where, you know, we can we can break down swings and, and pitching mechanics as much as we want, um, you know, that you got to have confidence behind what you're doing. And, and, and I'll take that over. I'll take, you know, cleaner mechanics uh, if a guy goes out on the mound and he's he's a little bit more confident he knows you believe in him uh, you know I think you can you can take that a world of places